Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Health Animated. On this podcast, we strive to make health information accessible to everyone. My name is Alex. And I'm Danielle. If you're returning to our podcast, thanks for your ongoing support. And if you're listening for the first time, welcome. We hope you stick around. So today, we are going to talk about a topic that some of you might think is a little bit dry. (laughs) And it's because it is. I don't know if that was funny. Pun intended. We're going to talk about dry eyes today. So Alex, I think this topic is pretty near and dear to your heart because I think, what was it, less than five hours ago, you were just doing a lecture on this very topic. So do you want to walk us through your day? (laughs) Well, yeah, I I did deliver a lecture today. And um, yeah, that was five hours ago, I think. Actually, more than that now. But it's one of those topics that I think is not very like glorified. But especially uh, this past year, I think more and more people are becoming more aware of um, this topic of dry eyes and associated with dry eyes, like also eye strain. And the reason for that is because with this pandemic that we've all been living through, uh, many of us have pivoted from working in the office to working from home. So I'm sure there are many people out there who have Uh, their own home offices. If you're a student, you might now be studying at home and participating a lot of of Zoom sessions. So all of that is leading to more increased screen time and some people may experience dry eyes. So I think this topic is pretty relevant. Yeah, for sure. I'm not working from home, but I feel like my screen time is a lot. Also because you're socializing on the computer now too, right? You're like, oh, let's do a Zoom call or, oh, we have a Zoom conference. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And like, you know, even before the pandemic, dry eye is something that can cause a considerable amount of burden to patients as well as society. If you think about it, we need our eyes to do everything, right? From reading to writing to you know our daily activities it's really important to have good visual acuity and ensure that our eyes are well hydrated and taken care of Um, i had a really interesting stat to share which is did you know that the average american spends about 800 dollars a year on treating dry eyes that's pretty significant to me wow yeah that's really significant like I have dry eye or dry eyes <laughs> and yeah, I definitely do not spend that much. So I think it's probably also because I'm not that good about drops and eye regimen, but wow. No, I think there's a lot to unpack. So shall we get started? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, Alex, before we dive into this topic, could you walk us through what's going on in the eye, the anatomy of the eye, where are our tear glands, and how does it all kind of connect? Yeah, I can certainly walk us through it. So the tear gland, um, the medical terminology for tear gland is our lacrimal gland. So you can think of it as being like this oval-shaped gland that's about one centimeter in length, and we have a pair of them. So they kind of sit above our eyes. And basically, it acts as a reservoir for the overflow of tears. And it's also responsible for secreting our tears. Couldn't see it, but Alex is actually pointing to above his eyes for emphasis of the lacrimal glands. Exactly. I want to now kind of talk about our tear film. So right now, all of us we have a layer called a tear film that's coating our eyeballs. So that's why our eyes kind of look a bit glossy. 
it's because of that tear film. If your eyes look a bit dull, then that might be a bit of a problem, but normally your eyes should look healthy and hydrated. That's because of that tear film. So the tear film classically can be described as having three components. It's not just the tears, but there's actually other components as well. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start by explaining the first layer, which is the closest to our eyes. So that is called the mucus layer. So the mucus layer is basically, I guess, this kind of goopy substance that's produced by specialized cells on our eyes. And it allows the next layer, which is the aqueous layer, to adhere to. And with the mucus layer, it's kind of responsible for getting rid of waste material and things like that. Now with the second layer, that is called the aqueous layer. So the aqueous layer is the thickest part of the tear film, and it's essentially a pool of really good stuff. So it's responsible for nourishing our eyes, keeping it hydrated, and it carries a lot of antibacterial properties. Um, if you want to get a bit nerdy, it also contains things like growth factors, electrolytes, and things like that. And then the final layer, which is the outermost layer, is your lipid layer. So the lipid layer is also known as sort of like the oily layer, and it allows us to have this like smooth surface and helps to stabilize the tear film. And what do I mean by stabilizing a tear film? Well, preventing evaporation of our tears. And that is produced by another set of glands, which is called the meibomian glands. So the meibomian glands are these little tiny glands that kind of sit at the edge of your eyelids and they line both the upper and lower eyelids. Through that, you get your tear film. So those are the three layers. So the mebobian gland, just to clarify, is on the inner corner of your eye, right? Closest to your nose? Uh, actually, it lines your entire edge of your eyelid. So both the top and bottom. If you go to Google Images, you'll have a better idea of what I'm talking about. But it's really cool. So when you have a moment, I would definitely encourage you to spend some time Googling your eyeball. Nice. So, okay, wait, to clarify, where are the ducts that the tears can roll back into? Yeah, good point. So, getting all nerdy with anatomy. So say, you know, for whatever reason, you start to tear up, whether it's from an emotional movie, such as, I don't know. The Notebook? <laughs> I've never seen that movie before, but I kind of want to, so. What? I know, I want to do it for a date night, but we'll see if, uh, we'll see if he gets a hint. <laughs> Joking. <laughs> if you're listening think of like your most romantic movie and you get all emotional and you start to tear or maybe you're chopping onions which i'm sure a lot of us can relate to um, that's a chemical irritant and that can trigger our tears as well so when that happens our lacrimal gland which contains you know all of our tears uh, will then begin to secrete and we start to tear up and things that are the excessive tears what happens is it, it gets drained out of our eyes so next time take a look in the mirror you'll notice that near the corner of your eye there are these two little like pinholes uh one at the top of your eyelid and the other one at the bottom of your eyelid and that's called your puncta so that's where the extra tears flow into and then what happens is the tears then flow into your your tear duct and then the tear duct eventually connects to the back of your nose and the back of your throat. So that's why when sometimes you like put in eye drops, it kind of, you get like a weird bitter taste in the back of your throat. And that's due to that pathway. So isn't it kind of cool? 
It's really, really cool. Yeah. So that was a crash course on the anatomy. The next thing I want to talk about is the definition of dry eye. I know this sounds kind of silly, but I feel like um, it's something that's worth mentioning. So historically, people, when they talk about dry eye, they typically think of it as a symptom. So it's like, oh, like I'm having dry eye. I'm having like sore eyes or blurry vision. So it's described as a symptom. But the latest definition of dry eye actually categorizes it as a disease. So the most correct way to refer to dry eyes is to call it a dry eye disease. And the reason why we're moving away from it just being a symptom and towards a disease is because then we can use language to kind of describe the disease process. So there is a pathology and mechanism around dry eye. So, you know, that's something we can go over in in just a moment. So you can think of it as a disease process rather than just a single symptom. So Alex, uh, what's the acronym for this uh, then? So dry disease, D-E-D, or dead. dead. <laughs> Spelt the cool way. It was cool before it was cool. <laughs> yeah, we have this weird way of like, or not, when I say we, I mean like the people who came up with the acronym should have thought about it a little bit more before they locked it in. Strangely enough, there's actually like an international dry eye workshop of like expert ophthalmologists that get together to talk about dry eye disease. So it sounds pretty nerdy, but but also a lot of the information that I'm speaking about comes from these resources. People who are really passionate about dry eyes. Hey, I'm glad that there's some people out there that are really passionate about dry eyes. I have dry eyes, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that have dry eyes. Do you have dry eyes, Alex? Is that a personal question? (laughs) Well, I'm willing to be vulnerable, as always. No, but seriously, if you were to ask me pre-pandemic, I would say no. And now I'm definitely a little bit more concerned about my eyes because I've had periods where due to increased screen time, like exponential increase in screen time, my eyes just can't handle it these days. Like I, I get after a long day of work, my eyes feel sore and my eyes need a rest and they do feel dry. So I'm trying to be a bit more mindful because... As you'll learn later, we need to listen to our body because our body can only do so much to to keep things in balance as well as possible before it starts to lose its control and get progressively worse. Yeah, it's a really good point, Alex. So let's kind of segue into who is at risk of developing dry eyes or dry eye disease, aka dead? Really good question. So believe it or not, majority of people are actually at risk of having dry disease. It's not one of those diseases that likes to single out specific populations. Having said that though, there's observational studies that looked at the prevalence of dry disease. And what they found is, well, it's actually quite a range. So depending on what kind of study you look at, it can be as low as 5% of the population having dry disease, or upwards of 50%, so half of the population having dry disease. And so so the reason why it's such a wide range is because when these studies were conducted, everyone kind of had their own unique definition of dry disease. Depending on what kind of definition you use, that can affect the overall percentage of people being affected by dry eyes. The other thing is, you know, if you've ever gone to your optometrist or ophthalmologist, The one thing that you'll notice is they love their tools 
right? They like to put eye drops in your eyes. They like to stain your eye. They like to use all these cool tools. And so with all of these tools also leads to a little bit of confusion in how to confirm or rule out the condition. So that's something to just kind of bear in mind. So overall, what I'm trying to say is the diagnostic criteria is quite diverse. So that leads to the wide range of 5% to upwards of 50%. So unfortunately, Danielle, females tend to have a higher risk of having dry disease compared to males. And do you want to know why they kind of postulate that? Um, you know what? I cheated and I oh, looked at cheater. your notes before. So, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit this one out and just share it with the, share it with the class. They found that having lower levels of androgen is an associated risk factor for dry disease. I was genuinely surprised when I read that androgens had an impact on developing dry eyes. Low androgen environments might actually support inflammation. And later on, we'll kind of talk about like how dry eyes occurs and inflammation is one piece of that cycle. That might be a good segue into what causes dry eyes and why. Let's keep things simple. So there's really two things that kind of are characteristic of dry eyes disease. So number one, we talked about the tear film. So there is tear instability. So the tear film is unstable. But when you have one or more layers of the tear film being compromised, that is an issue because then it leads to something called hyperosmolarity. So you might remember this word from your chemistry days if you are a science student. So hyperosmolarity, basically when the concentration in the tears is abnormally high. So that's like your pool of good stuff that I talked about. So like the electrolytes, the proteins, the antibacterial uh, enzymes, growth factors, things like that. So does that mean you have too much of a good thing? Yes, too much of a good thing is not good. (laughs) It's not good. So I want to walk you through an example. So... Consider someone who like works on their computer all the time. So say like, you know, you're a graphic designer or you're a um, software engineer. And so, you know, your day to day involves a lot of screen time. And with that, maybe you're also not blinking as much because you're always focused on the screen. And to make things even worse, let's consider that you work under an air draft or like a ceiling fan or air conditioner. So it creates this stream of air that's increasing the evaporation of your tear film. So when you have the environment where you have a high evaporation of your tears, typically how our eyes like to respond is under normal condition, our eyes will increase our reflex drive by producing more tears to try to achieve that balance again. So, you know, the technical term would be homeostasis. So our body tries to strive for homeostasis. So something that might be relatable is if you've ever gone outside and it was like a really windy day and it's like blowing directly into your eyes, I don't know if you recall, but you might actually start to tear excessively. And that is an example of that reflex drive. So our eyes do really cool things to try to compensate for the environment. But if we are not good to ourselves and we don't listen to our body and the offending environment continues on, it gets to a point where our normal systems start to fail us. So what then happens is with the high rate of evaporation, our tears become abnormally concentrated. And then the concentrated tears then triggers a cascade of inflammatory responses. You know, normally inflammation in small doses 
is good because it's like our body's natural response to something that's threatening to our body. But inflammation is not so great when it's chronic, and it's not great for the cells in our eyes either. And with too much inflammation, it can actually start to cause them to like die off. Um, and that's what's known as apoptosis. So again, for the science geeks out there, you can probably relate to this terminology, this term. As programmed cell death. That sounds so ominous. <laughs> programmed cell death. And when our cell starts to die off, that's really sad because a lot of those cells are the building blocks to produce and contribute to our tear film. And so we then start to not <sighs> so be able sad. to effectively maintain our natural uh, tear film. And when the tear film becomes compromised, that contributes to abnormally concentrated tears. And so you can kind of see that this creates this vicious cycle that's just kind of never ending if the offending agent's never removed. Yeah, so that is the vicious cycle of dry disease in a nutshell. Any questions, Danielle? No, I think you summed it up pretty well. But I will just recap just to make sure that I have a good understanding of this. So pretty much evaporative effects can cause our eyes to dry out. And when they dry out, the cells become more concentrated with all of the stuff, but less tears, like less of the aqueous layer of the actual like liquid part of it, more of the electrolytes, more of the um, other factors that are floating around in there. So then that causes inflammation, which then is this vicious cycle if the offending evaporative effects are not removed. And then your cells just kind of die off and the cells that are dying are actually the ones that are helping to promote the tear film, which just leads into this big cycle. I don't want to get into like too much detail because I feel like it's sort of beyond the purpose of this episode, but just appreciate that there are many different causes of dry disease. I want to focus on one particular cause of dry disease. And before I get back to it, I just want to remind everyone about our meibomian glands. So those are the glands that are responsible for secreting the oily uh, substance that contributes to our lipid layer of our tear film. Sometimes those glands get a little bit wonky and they either don't secrete as much or in some cases they can actually be blocked and even kind of solidify. And that's called meibomian gland disorder. So what happens is, you know, if we're not getting those lipid secretions, they can't contribute to our tear film and that leads to instability of the tear film and thereby higher rates of evaporation. So actually a lot of people have this condition, also abbreviated as MGD. And so there is a way to treat it. It's kind of funny because the way you treat it is you have to express the glands and express the lipids. Yeah, so I have pretty bad dry eyes. And so I, when I was at my ophthalmologist's office, uh, she actually expressed the lipid layer from my mobomian glands by just doing kind of a manual manipulation, um, which only healthcare providers should be doing. But it just, and then she was like looking at my eyes through her microscope, I guess, or like through her magnifying glass. And she's like, yeah, I can see the lipids just pouring out of your mybomian gland. And like, it was just, it was kind of, uh, it was interesting. But fun fact, you can actually uh, elicit a similar uh, effect by just using a warm compress. So that was her recommendation to me was to use a warm compress for about five to 10 minutes, a couple times a day. 
And then it'll help to kind of unclog your meibomium glands and then just allow that lipid layer to be expressed in a safe way that uh, you don't have to go see your optometrist or your ophthalmologist for. I almost wonder if like optometrists get a similar satisfaction to like say someone popping their pimple because this extraction kind of reminds me of like, you know, like Dr. Pimple Popper, like squeezing out a really good pimple. So it, it does seem kind of fun, but also kind of scary. I don't know if it would give you the same satisfaction because only you can see it. Maybe it's kind of like you're excited, but you have no one to share it with. So maybe it's not as good, you know, <laughs> unless they could like record how it looks. Ooh. So that is uh, that's one cause of dry disease. So now what I want to talk about is, you know, since we're pharmacists, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about medications as being risk factors because we are trained to ask about your medications and it's ingrained in our, in our DNA. So believe it or not, there's actually medications that are associated with dry disease. And so the list is just going to focus on maybe like one or two different categories. Yeah, we're going to hit the low hanging fruit that are really obvious causes. Yes. Danielle, do you want to kick us off? So the first class of drugs that can cause dryness are called anticholinergic drugs. So this medication class can include medications such as Benadryl uh, or diphenhydramine, Gravol or diminhydronate. It can also include other uh, second generation antihistamines, uh, which have less anticholinergic effects but are still somewhat anticholinergic. It can also include a number of prescription medications. So I won't go too much into the list, but if you are experiencing dry eye disease, do talk to your pharmacist and see if your medication kind of could be contributing to it. But anyway, these anticholinergic medications essentially just cause everything to dry up. So it can cause dry mouth and it can also cause dry eyes. And it does this by impacting the, the tear glands. I get so nervous when I talk about like brand name and then matching it with like generic drugs, but you did that so smoothly. So, so good on you. Uh, I would have struggled. I'd be like diphenhydramine, Benadryl. But I do Mm -hmm. also want to like, if if it's not apparent already by Danielle's explanation, like anticholinergics are a big deal. Like even if you think about like antidepressants, a lot of them have those anticholinergic effects. And now when we're heading into, you know, um, seasonal allergies, there's a lot of people who might take a reactant off the shelf or purchase Arius or Claritin, you know, those types of products. So all of them have the potential of causing dry eyes. So... Yep. And some are more anticholinergic than others. Correct. So if you are noticing, you know, the dry mouth, dry eyes, talk to your pharmacist and they can look at what, where does this kind of fall on the spectrum? And um, like we kind of alluded to, actually, I don't know if we alluded to this, but <laughs> but another thing is, is that your older antihistamines, like your older generation, like your Benadryl, they're actually more anticholinergic than the newer generation. So your Claritins and your Arius's. Um, so do you talk to your, talk to your pharmacist because they'll be able to recommend something that doesn't dry you out as much. Yeah. Absolutely. I I completely agree. So it is really important, though, that if you are experiencing dry eyes, that you do intervene. And if you don't treat uh, dry eye disease, it can actually increase your risk of eye infections and cause that surface damage to the eye like we talked about. It can also have an impact on your quality of life because... 
you know, if you're experiencing dry eyes, you're going to notice it. And towards the end of the day, your eyes are going to get tired and feel like scratchy and irritated and it's not going to be fun. In some cases, it's actually known to have mental health impacts as well. And so with that being said, you might ask the question, well, should I be treating the dry eyes on my own or should I be seeing my eye care professional for treatment? So we want to quickly walk you through when can you decide to self-treat and when you should actually be seeing your eye care professional or other healthcare provider. So I'm going to start, kick this off by listing the first thing, which is pain. So whenever your eyes experience any sort of pain, whether it's due to blunt trauma, say someone sucker punches your eye, or if you uh, work in a field where you had accidental chemical exposure. So for whatever reason, if you experience pain, do not ignore it because pain in your eyes, it's not a good sign. So you have to go see your eye care doctor or go to the hospital. The other thing is anytime you have any disturbances in your vision, you know, where things you can't see as clearly or there's an acute change in your visual acuity, also see a doctor because that's not a not a good sign. Sorry, just to pause for our audience. Uh, what does acuity mean, Alex? So visual acuity means the sharpness of your vision. Say like you stare at like a cup and the edge of the cup looks kind of blurry, then that is a sign that your vision has decreased in acuity. Another symptom that should be looked at by the doctor is if you have photosensitivity. What that means is if you're sensitive to light, that is not a good sign either. And of course, if you are someone who kind of just has had a history of eye issues, such as, you know, if you've had glaucoma, especially if it's acute closure of glaucoma, so that's a more serious type, um, or if you've had a history of like eye inflammation, that is another reason for you to see your uh, eye care professional. And then lastly, if you have persistent symptoms, so persistent for us means like, you know, if it lasts beyond five days or if it gets progressively worse, you should also see your eye care doctor. This makes me really want to take care of my eyes. I agree. Don't fret. There are options available, um, especially if you are somebody who just needs a little bit of help through through your day. So if you have like just infrequent dry eyes, and it's pretty mild, there are ways that you can actually self-treat. So you can actually go to your pharmacy and go to the eye care section and pick out something to, to treat your eyes. But before we get into the drugs, let's go through some things that we can do to our environment or within our environment. So some of the non-drug things. So the first thing is, like Alex said earlier, if you're sitting underneath a draft or an air conditioner and it is just constantly in your eyes, just move. It's probably not a good idea because it will increase evaporation and kind of cause that cycle to just spiral as Alex alluded to earlier. The next thing that you want to do is if you're spending time at your screen, try to follow the 20-20-20 rule. So unlike 20-20 vision, it's 20-20-20. There's another 20. Every, (laughs) yeah, there's three 20s. So 60, no, not 60. It's 20-20-20. So every 20 minutes for 20 seconds, look at something that's 20 feet or more away from you. So for example, 
I it's been more than 20 minutes since Alex and I have been sitting here staring at each other. <laughs> so I'm going to take the next 20 seconds to just stare out the window at a building that's far, far away. And that should help me out. I'm looking. It's really hard to do it for <laughs> 20 seconds, but because I need to look at our am I talking points. <laughs> yeah. And that's just it's really important to do that anytime you're experiencing too much screen time. So mm-hmm. even when you're reading, so when you're reading or you're doing work on the computer and the whole reason why this is important is because uh, when you're just staring at a screen, you blink less. So by staring away and just giving your eyes some time, you're going to reduce eye strain and you're also going to increase the frequency by which you're blinking, which is really important. Yeah. Speaking of like blinking and our eyelids, another cool trick is, um, and this is something that I I use myself, is when you are in front of a computer screen, try to lower the computer screen below your eye level such that you're looking down at your screen at an angle as opposed to looking straight on or even worse looking upwards and the reason is because if you think about it you can even try this with me with me right now is if you stare down your eyelids will naturally close a little bit more so by your eyelids shutting a little bit more it creates that physical barrier to reduce the rate of evaporation and if you think about the opposite if you're looking up Say you're looking at the sky, your eyelids have to naturally open up wider and that increases the rate of evaporation. Isn't that kind of neat? That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's like little tricks like that that just are can be really helpful in the long run. Mm-hmm. Totally. So that's kind of like your environmental factors. And then Danielle, did you also want to walk us through some of what's called the supportive methods. I know you mentioned like warm compresses, but what else can one do to help improve their dry eyes? Yeah, so one thing is the warm compresses. Another thing is making sure your eyelids are clean and um, you know that you don't have any like makeup on them as well so because you want to make sure before you go to bed uh, that you've taken all of your makeup off especially the, the eye makeup because things like mascara and eyeliner it can actually if it's not removed by the end of the day it can increase the risk of irritation and other uh, negative impacts um, and you may have heard of something called blepharitis which is like inflammation of your eyelids and that can actually contribute to dry eyes, dry eyes as well. So it's really important to clean your eyelids, especially for those out there mm-hmm. that use makeup. Yeah. So and a really good method of cleaning your eyelids, you know, if you don't want to go out and like buy makeup remover is you can actually use um, baby shampoo. Ooh, so that's right. baby shampoo is very gentle and uh, yeah, it's gentle and you can just put it on a little, um, I guess, a clean towel or a uh, cotton ball um probably the clean towel is better for the environment and uh you can just kind of wipe wipe your eyelid down that way and then just use some uh warm water to rinse it out so other things um that are important is just to make sure that you're staying well hydrated so just like you can get dry mouth if you're um, not well hydrated you can also get dry eyes another thing that you can do is making sure that your environment that you're working in or that you're living in isn't too dry either so making sure that it's got um a good level of humidity 
And finally, the last thing that you can do is just make sure that you're getting a good night's sleep. And that's important because not only is sleep important due to its restorative effects, it's also a time period where your eyelids are closed and it's you're not um, experiencing those evaporative effects. Unless you're one of those people that sleeps with one eye open, which some people are. And then something else that was kind of interesting, Alex, which I guess we're kind of going out of order a little bit with this one because it's kind of like an evaporative effect. But I was surprised to learn that masks can actually cause dry eyes mm-hmm. because um, of the fact that you're, if the mask doesn't have a good fit, it could actually cause air to go up into your eyes. And it, it's kind of like being under an air conditioner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So especially if you don't press on your nose bridge, bottom line is all of us are wearing masks these days. Um, just ensure that you have a proper fit because if it's a little loose, well, number one, you're not you're not using it properly, so you're prone to susceptible to infection. And also number two, you know, you're creating the stream of air that goes over your eyes, causing it to um, contribute to dry eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. I also want to take us through, you know, we're not dietitians, but I do want to take us through a small discussion on how diet might play a role in dry eyes. So, I'm sure a lot of us have heard of buzz around omega-3 fatty acids. They, they're studied quite heavily in a variety of conditions. So, for example, for heart health. And when you go to the pharmacy, you often see rows and rows of omega-3 supplements. So, it's actually been studied to with respect to dry eye disease. So, the bottom line is taking omega-3 supplements may or may not help, which for a lot of natural health (laughs) products, that tends to be the conclusion. But what we will say is, you know, instead of thinking about taking like omega-3 supplements right away, maybe try to increase your diet first with these fatty acids. So there are a lot of healthy food items that contain, uh, that are rich in omega-3 fatty acids. So just to name a few, you know, if you like to eat sushi, like salmon, tuna, mackerel are really good options. And if you're not a fan of sushi, there's also other things such as certain types of nuts or seeds such as flaxseed are also rich in omega-3 fatty acids. So try to work on your diet first because not only is it nutritious for you, but it may also uh, potentially have a role in supporting eye health and preventing dry eyes. So Alex, what you're saying is that I should go out for poke once a week. Oh my god, I love poke. We need to have a poke day once everything is over, pandemic is over. Mm-hmm. I love poke. We have so many good food options here. We're such food snobs, don't you think? <laughs> like I feel like we're always talking <laughs> not about food. that snobby. Okay, we're not. Okay, fine. <laughs> We just we just That's know our true. food. As I eat my acai bowl during this podcast. <laughs> okay. So, so now we want to shift our focus on tier supplements. So, the other thing you can try doing is purchasing an eye drop. So, we call these ocular lubricants. As you have probably experienced when you go to the pharmacy, there are probably dozens and dozens of different eye drop products to choose from. So talk to your pharmacist because they'll be able to recommend the best product for you. Yeah. If you just want to learn a little bit more, um, I do want to share some tips and tricks that might be helpful along the way. So so I want to spend a little bit of time talking about preservatives because certain eye drops will contain preservatives. And so these are typically your like bottles that you purchase. And so 
some preservatives are worse than others. And yeah, maybe I'll just quickly talk about that um, right now. So a really, really common preservative is called benzalkonium chloride. It's a really long word, so I'll repeat it one more time. Benzalkonium chloride, also known as BAK. So this is a really common preservative. And the reason why we have preservatives is obviously is to prevent microbial growth in the solution because you obviously don't want to instill eye drops that have been contaminated. Yeah, so prevent germs. Yeah, that's a really good way of saying it. Prevents germs from forming. So on one hand, you're preventing germs from forming. But on the other hand, these preservatives are actually not really good for eyes in the long run. You know, if you find yourself using eye drops, say like four times a day, you might want to double check your eye drop product to make sure that it doesn't contain a preservative. Or if it does contain a preservative, that it's something that's not benzalkonium chloride because that's the most toxic out of all of them. So yeah, you can always talk to your pharmacist because they can probably recommend something that's more appropriate for you. So you might be wondering, well, you know, a lot of the products I see on the shelf, they're all in eyedrop bottles. So wouldn't they all contain preservatives? Well, if you look a little bit closer, there's actually some products on the shelf that look like these plastic little vials and they're called single-use vials. So those typically are, you'll know that they're preservative-free because typically they're a little bit more expensive because of the packaging, but it's meant to be used one time only. So that's one way to select these products. So these ones are like single use little, kind of like ampules. So Mm -hmm. they're just little plastic things. However, because I know that there is an environmental focus and, you know, single use plastic is not always ideal. There are other types of devices that have been formulated in such a way that they are a bottle, multi-dose, but they do not contain preservative. And those have a very specialized delivery system to deliver a single drop at a time, and they don't have preservative in them, but they will also be a little bit more expensive. Yes, that's a really good point. And yeah, I feel like definitely over the past like several years, Uh, We've been seeing more of these products come on the shelf. So that's really, really great. As you mentioned, you know, it's probably better than throwing away tons and tons of plastic. And it's probably a little bit more convenient to carry around as well because it's just like your regular bottle, except has a really cool mechanism, allowing it to isolate one single drop from the rest of the bottle. Yeah. I also think because uh, we should, it's a good time to talk about it because of the whole waste conversation. What is really, 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 really important with your eyes is that you do not use them beyond the expiry date (laughs) and you do not use them beyond the date that it was opened where it says that you need to throw them out by because that is a really, really good way of getting a terrible eye infection. So please do respect those expiry dates on the bottle and after opening. And after opening, they are not going to last you until the expiry date on the bottle. They're only good for a certain amount of time. So do check the package insert or the bottle or with your pharmacist to see what duration that is for the eye drop that you're purchasing. Because even though they have preservative in it, it doesn't mean that that preservative is going to mean that make that bottle last for a very long time. So it's really, really important to respect the expirations. So Also, it's probably good practice to just write down the date that you opened it to make sure that you actually look at the expiry because 
it's just um, high risk of eye infection otherwise. Yeah, that was a really good thing to share because I feel like I'm guilty of like hoarding medications because you know sometimes you like, I don't know, say you have like dry eyes once, right? You would buy it and obviously there's a lot left and you just kind of like, oh, I don't want to waste it. I'm just going to store it away for the next time I have dry eyes. But it's actually not a good idea, as, as Danielle mentioned, especially when it comes to your eyes. You don't want to play around with that kind of stuff. So if you're that kind of person, then maybe those single-use ampules are actually better for you because then at least they're all single-use and you can use it once and then just stash the rest away yeah. until the longer expiry date if they're single-use ampules. Now that we talked about preservatives, the last property I want to focus on is viscosity. So viscosity agents are sort of like the star of your eyedrop product. So you'll typically see that ingredient being written on the face of the box or the bottle. And there's a lot of different viscosity agents. So we know we're not going to go through all of them. But basically the role of viscosity agents is to increase the retention time of the tear film. It also helps to prevent evaporation by kind of supplementing our tears and yeah that's essentially the main ingredient it's really to supplement your tears with something so with the viscosity agent there are many different types of them so you have those that are a little bit more liquidy so that that's why you have like eye drops and then you also have some viscosity agents that are a little bit thicker and the reason why they're a little bit thicker is some people just need products that are designed to last a little bit longer so it increases the retention time of our tears so those are typically advertised as like kind of like gel drops and then on the really extreme end you have some viscosity agents that are really thick and so those are your eye ointments so typically the eye ointments are those that you want to use um, reserve for bedtime because they're really thick so it causes your vision to be a bit more blurry now in terms of like kind of like side effects overall these um, artificial tears have been demonstrated to be pretty safe um, however some people may experience some common adverse reactions such as burning or stinging when you first or instill these eye drops but they should only last for a couple of minutes and of course, depending on the thickness of the product, as I've alluded to, it may lead to um, temporary blurriness of your vision. So make sure that your eyes are not blurry before you need to do anything such as like driving or as we like to say, operating machinery. Mm -hmm. And another thing to keep in mind is if you're a contact lens wearer, do check with the pharmacist to make sure that you've selected a product that is actually compatible with contact lenses. As some of the eye drops, you'll actually have to take out your contact lenses and then instill them and then wait a period of time and then put them back in. Whereas others, you can just use them alongside your contacts. So just ask your pharmacist, they'll be able to help you with that. Yeah, really, really good point. Um... As you can probably tell, I'm not a huge fan of benzoconium chloride, and that's another reason to avoid that type of preservative because it's not compatible with contact lens. Okay, so, oh, another thing that I forgot. Sorry, it kind of seems like we're just like randomly spewing facts, but this is important. So another thing that's kind of confusing for people is you'll see some products being advertised for treating redness of the eyes. Ooh. That is something that I really, really want to talk about because it's a pet peeve of mine. So typically when these eye drops are advertised for eliminating redness, 
So in addition to like the standard ingredients you'll find in, in eye drops, you'll also notice that it contains um, a different set of ingredients and that is called your decongestants. So decongestants work by constricting the blood vessels that are in your eyes. So it offers sort of like a cosmetic fix because when you are constricting your blood vessels, it will then physically decrease the appearance of redness in your eyes. So while it does offer a cosmetic fix, it's actually not good to use for more than a few days because it can actually lead to worsening of dry eyes. So it's really, really important to, well, first of all, try to avoid using that product. But if you really have to use that product, say, I don't know, you have to deliver a a keynote speech in front of hundreds of people and you need to you know, look the part, then maybe you can use it one off, but definitely don't use it for, you know, more than a few days. Mm-hmm. And do check with your pharmacist before using it because you don't want to be using it if you're on certain types of medications. Yeah. So even with eye drops, it can potentially be conflicting with medications that you're on. Okay. So I feel like we've taken you folks through like a really long journey of dry disease. And so one thing I just want to say to kind of cap things off is don't feel discouraged if you're not getting any relief from these over-the-counter products and if you're not getting any relief despite implementing lifestyle changes and addressing environmental factors. Because at the end of the day, some people who have like perhaps moderate or severe or chronic dry eye may actually need prescription strength products to treat their dry disease. So how do you get these prescription products? Well, it requires a visit to your optometrist, your ophthalmologist, or your doctor. So it's not the end of the discussion uh, when it comes to dry disease. There are other treatment treatment modalities are available. So not just prescription products, but Sometimes there's devices you could use to help support and manage more serious or chronic forms of dry disease. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, I kind of feel like this episode, it's funny because we always like have a goal of like recording just a short episode that's like 20 minutes long, but we end up being so passionate about our topics that it becomes quite lengthy but i really hope that you folks found this topic interesting especially as it seems to be quite relevant for many of us who are working from home these days whether it's for a job or whether you're a student studying for your online courses so i'm really hoping that you were able to gain some tips and tricks from us bottom line is with dry eyes it's really important to control the environmental factors and to think of ways to address some of the lifestyle measures as well. Even though there's no cure for dry eyes per se, um, it's really about managing it and focusing on prevention. So that's the other thing I wanted to kind of just share with everyone. Aw, Alex, you're so passionate about this topic. (laughs) I'm really glad that you got to lecture on it today and that you got to share it with everybody because you make this topic not so dry. Pun intended. But I'm done. <laughs> I started the lecture with a pun. So the pun was, why should I care? As a way to hook the students into this lecture. S- spelt E-Y-E. Yes, why should I care? So I hope that um, you now know the answer to that. 
Um, and so I really want to thank everyone for tuning into this week's episode of Health Animated. Uh, we had lots of fun recording this episode, and if you really like what you've heard, it would be really cool if you could share this with people around you. Awesome. And if you like what you hear, don't only share, but please do subscribe as well. Um, so and rate us if you're on Apple Podcasts because uh, we'd love to have some more ratings on there and hear feedback and reviews. But yeah, that's kind of all we've got for you today. And as soon as we finish this episode, I'm going to go and use a warm compress on my eyes. And I'm going to rest my eyes. <laughs> yeah. If you want to learn more about us, you know, our website is healthanimated.com. And you can find us on various social media platforms such as YouTube or Instagram. Just type at Health Animated. Bye, Bye for, for now. now.